morning everyone, lovely to see you. Um, so I'm picking up again on our Resilient um, series and last week Paul captured really powerfully um, how the enemy wants to bring desolation and barrenness to our lives and to the world around us. And since COVID it seems like we've gone from one bad thing to the next. Every day we're being exposed to our society, painted a picture of the future that looks pretty desolate. Um, the winter is going to be hard, we're going to find it difficult to heat our homes and buy food. The NHS is going under, we're going to struggle to get the medical help we need. The war in Ukraine is putting the possibility of nuclear war back on the table. Our culture is expecting desolation. It's all that it can see. And so how do we exist as a church, as a place of hope in the midst of this? And we're gonna look at Psalm 23 this morning. And we mostly associate Psalm 23 with death and dying. In our culture, it's read at sick beds and at funerals. And it has been described as a Psalm of full of comforts. But I want to suggest today that this is the psalm we need for our current times, that Psalm 23 will help us to live, not just survive, but to abundantly live. So let's read it together now. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Since the Queen died, I have been re-watching The Crown on Netflix, um, and I think it's pretty cheap of me to say, oh, I don't have time, because I've managed to get through all four seasons. Um, and it's a drama if you don't know about the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. And a lot of it is fictional, but it does a really great job of weaving different points of Britain's history, um, particularly the different crises, crises that have been faced throughout the Queen's reign. So you see the Suez crisis in 1956, you see the devaluation of the pound in 1967, you see minor strikes and energy shortages in the early 70s, and you see the troubles in Northern Ireland, um, particularly the killing of Lord Mountbatten in 1979. And those four things happened in just a period of 23 years. And there have been many difficult periods and crises that have taken place during the Queen's lifetime. And it has been remarked how she had been a constant figure in our lives for much of the 20th century and, and the start of the 21st. But God has been constant throughout all of history. He has seen many more crises come and go and been, has been with his people right in the midst of them. And David starts Psalm 23 with the words, the Lord. And when we see Lord in capital letters, we know that in the original Hebrew, the word is Yahweh. And this is the name that God is using when introducing himself to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3 verse 13. And it says, but Moses protested, 
If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. God introduces himself as Yahweh, meaning I am who I am. And Derek Morphew, who, who is one of the theologians in the Vineyard Movement, says that the word Yahweh conveys three tenses. So it can be translated, I was who I was in the past tense. I am who I am in the present tense. I will be who I will be in the future tense. God is telling Moses that there has never been a time, nor there will be, when he has not been here. And Derek Morphew says one could say that the word carries the idea of being dynamically present. It signifies that God has entered the situation. God has entered the situation. He is not remote or distant, but he is present with his people. Always has been, always will be. And I believe that knowing Yahweh, the one who is present with us, will help us as we face another difficult season. Psalm 23 verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. In the final day of Jesus' life, he reassured his followers that they would not be on their own. John 14 verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate you will who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus promised that God's present presence, the Holy Spirit would be in us and with us, that we wouldn't be abandoned, that he would come to us. And Scott McKnight says, if we are to enter into an abundant kind of life, one of growth and victory over sin and systemic evils, then we need someone, with a capital S, who transcends our inabilities and who can transform our abilities. What we need is God's presence in us. And this is exactly what Jesus promised to give to anyone who wanted to join his team of spirit-empowered humans. If we are to enter into an abundant kind of life, one of growth and victory, we need God's presence in us. The constant stream we are getting from all parts of society can sweep us up into worry, uncertainty and fear. And if we are going to enter into an abundant kind of life, we need to recognise, receive and be transformed by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in us. This is how we have been designed. This is what Jesus says is best for us. The Holy Spirit is not a nice to have, but a need to have. 
When I was 14 or 15, I had a major crush on a boy in my year in school. And I remember, what I remember about that crush was that I was on constant alert, looking out for him in corridors, wondering if he was going to see me. Was I going to see him? And I had spent that much time mooning over this boy, um, who probably smelled like Lynx Africa, um, that I could recognise him quickly in a crowded corridor. And I think in this season, we need to be seeking out the Holy Spirit like a 14-year-old seeking out her crush. <laughs> Looking out for the Holy Spirit all the time to the point that we, could, we can recognize him in an instant. Asking the Holy Spirit throughout our day, where are you? Where are you in this headline, in this situation, in how I'm feeling right now? And then looking out for where they are and where the Holy Spirit is moving and working and inviting us to join them on right paths. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. We need to have our attention on where the Holy Spirit is and where they are guiding so we are walking on the right path, not just following wherever the crowd is leading. John Eldridge says, don't get baited into all the socio-drama let God lead you each and every day. In order to follow God's paths instead of the world's drama, we need to ask for the Spirit's help. We need to be open to the Spirit. And Scott McKnight goes on to say, but we are not filled with the Spirit accidentally. No, we must seek the Spirit's filling. We must request the Spirit's filling and we must receive the Spirit's filling. In other words, we must be vulnerable and open to the Spirit. And I believe if, the, if we are to live through these times, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of Yahweh in us and with us, guiding us, giving us wisdom, counseling us. But we only experience God's presence if we are open to the Spirit. And my question is, are we open? I want you to turn to another human being and tell them what image you have in your head when you hear the word shepherd. Go. shepherd into Google you get some images like these which I'm going to put up and um, you surprisingly get a lot of pictures of Jesus with lambs when you type shepherd into Google a nice clean silky haired Jesus I think the one on the furthest right he looks like he uses Pantene um, and it's a very serene picture and before I started diving into Psalm 23 I would have said that this psalm fitted nicely with these pictures still waters, fluffy lambs, green pastures. And shepherds do guide their sheep to safe places, but they also defend them from harm. And some commentators believe that Psalm 23 was written by an older King David when he was looking back over his life. And if you weren't aware, before David became king, he started his career as a shepherd for his father. 
And in 1 Samuel 17, David is having a job interview with King Saul for the position of Goliath killer. And he talks about his experience and transferable skills that he gained as a shepherd. And this is what he says in verse 34. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. You don't see many framed pictures in people's living rooms with an image of a bear being clubbed to death with the words of Psalm 23 written beside it. You all know what to get me now for Christmas. Um, and um, you, our verse 4 of Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod here refers to the club that shepherds like David would have used to fend off the wild animals that were not only attempting to get hold of the sheep, but um, they also would use the club to get the sheep out of the grip of the animal's mouth. And this is the image that Dave has given us of God as a shepherd, as well as the nice leading beside still waters. One who will fight for us, to free us from whatever may have us in its grip. This is not a God that will stand by and let you be carried off, but one who will defend you to the death. And John 10, verse 11 to 14 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hard hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hard hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The shepherd doesn't run off at the first sign of trouble, doesn't leave the sheep to be devoured by the wolf. Instead, he fights to the death. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again, so that we would no longer be captive to the death and and the desolation that death brings. And you might be sitting here today and it could feel a bit like something has taken hold of you that has got a grip on you. And I even um, a few weeks ago talked about the COVID wilderness that we have walked through. And we had to live a certain way through to get through the pandemic, didn't we? We had to keep our distance from people. We had to work from home. We had to order everything online. But I believe for some of us, that the effect of this has been a bit like a wolf in sheep's clothing. It was safe at first, but now it has got some of us in its grip. Space has become isolation and loneliness. Caution has become fear and anxiety. Self-preservation has become um, selfishness and unforgiveness. Being alert has left us exhausted and apathetic or flatlining as Paul described last week. And if you feel like you're in the grip of one of these things or something else at the moment, the Lord is your shepherd. We have a shepherd who will fight for us, who has laid down his life for us, his sheep, so that we may live. 
And I would encourage you to let Jesus, the shepherd, come to you, to lead you beside still waters, to restore your soul and tell you how he's going to deliver you from whatever um, has got you in its grip. And when we're facing difficult times in our lives, it is really tempting to go away, to try and sort out um, whatever is going on on our own. And sheep, as you know, will automatically scatter when they sense trouble or if one of them gets spooked. And we can do the same. We can withdraw from community and the people that will encourage us, support us, and love us through these difficult times. And can I encourage you in this season to resist the urge to scatter? This is no longer COVID. You will not be safe on your own. You need to be with others. To stick with Jesus, the shepherd, let um, him fight for you, comfort and protect you. Stay close to his flock, the church, so you can be supported, encouraged and built up. And staying close to Jesus and each other will help us to live, will keep us walking even through the darkest valley. Okay, confession time. Dun, dun, dun. I want you to turn to someone and confess if you were a March 2020 stockpiler of toilet roll. Doesn't that feel good to get off your chest? You just feel like that was good to admit to having 42 packets of toilet roll in your, uh, in your airing cupboard. So in the great toilet roll rush of 2020, it got to the point in Green Island that one of the two local shops, they will remain nameless, was selling individual toilet rolls. They broke up the packets and were selling them by the roll. That's how bad it got. And we can look back at the toilet roll um, rush and have a bit of a laugh at how ridiculous it all was. Um, but John Eldridge points out that it was a symptom of something deeper within us. He says, economic shaking, the fear of death, the loss of normal life, a completely unpredictable future. This sort of catastrophic upheaval drives us all to the core of human need and fear. Will I be provided for? Will I have enough? Is there abundance for me? And in the first verse of Psalm 23, it not only reminds us that God is with us and fighting for us as we walk through difficult times, but he's also providing for us. And so depending on your version of the Bible, verse 1 of Psalm 23 might say, I shall not want, or I have all that I need, or I lack nothing. And as Chantelle was reminding us a couple of weeks ago, God has the whole world in his hands. And Psalm 24 starts with, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. We are being shepherded by a present God who holds the world, who is self-sufficient. He um, isn't subject to the world or constrained by it. The whole world is his. And Dallas Willard describes God like this. He is one who, out of his mere nature, pours forth life in infinite quantities that are incomprehensible, everlasting, unceasing, and will never be exhausted. 
Our shepherd will never be exhausted. He won't run out of what we need to sustain us in this life. And also it is God's nature to pour out that life to generously share it. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about God. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. Our shepherd God is abundant and desires to be generous. And last week, Paul shared Jesus' words in John 10, 10. The thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Would you describe your life as abundant when the alarm goes off on a Tuesday morning? When you open the fridge door? When you look at your bank statement or the clock? And when you scroll through social media? Would you, be, would you say, I lack nothing? And the New Living Translation um, translates John 10, 10 as my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Satisfaction implies that we've had enough, we've had our fill, um, and the goal of Jesus, no matter what is going on around us, is a satisfied life in him. And I have been trying to read and understand a book by Dallas Willard in called A Life Without Lack, um, since my friend gifted it to me in Christmas 2019. It is one midi read, and I'm only on like page 39. Um, so if anybody would like to borrow it and tell me what it says and the rest, I would love that. Um, but he says something that I think really speaks um, to our current situation or, um, we are facing. Living a life without lack involves recognising the ideas that govern the present age and replacing them with the ideas that were embodied and taught by Jesus Christ. If we want to be able to join David in saying, I lack nothing, we need to know what ideas um, our present age is telling us, because the story we are told is the story we're going to live out. The story we are told is the story we're going to live out. And in March 2020, we were being told the story that toilet roll was going to run out. So toilet rolls started running out. But the truth was, there was an abundance of toilet roll. And if we had all just kept our heads and bought it at our normal rate, the shelves wouldn't have been empty. And again, we're being currently told a story of shortage and lack. So what ideas does Jesus embody and teach that we need to replace this current story with? And in Matthew 6, verse 19 to 34, Jesus is teaching specifically on money and possessions. And it finishes with, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Don't worry. The story that Jesus is telling us is the story that God knows what we need and will provide that. So don't worry. But we still do, don't we? But there is a strange thing that Jesus says before this passage that I believe will help us live out a story of abundance, a life without lack. And in verse 22, he says this very strange thing. The eye is the lump of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, um, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And this seems really random in the context um, of possessions and money. 
But if you have the eyes of a child and have an NIV Bible, you might notice tiny letters beside the words healthy and unhealthy. And these are trying to tell you something about the translation of these verses that implies something a bit more than how they've been translated. And some Bible scholars believe that both these words healthy and unhealthy would have been understood by Jewish listeners in different ways. So if I said to you, oh, so-and-so's kicked the bucket. You guys know what I mean, don't you? You know that that person has died. But if you were from another culture or another language and heard me say someone had kicked the bucket, you would be very confused. And it's kind of the same um, process that's going on here. So to talk to a Jewish um, audience at the time about a good eye, um, that was referring to how generous someone was, particularly to the poor. And um, if you talked about having an evil eye, um, that referred to how stingy you were and having that sort of miserly outlook. I think Jesus is saying something really powerful here. Our perspective determines the course of our lives. If our perspective is unhealthy, one of lack and not having enough, we're going to live a stingy life. But if our perspective is healthy, one of God's abundance, we will live a generous life because we know there is always more. And Jesus isn't saying that we should all put on a pair of rose-tinted um, glasses and pretend the world is Garden of Eden. But sometimes I think we fixate on the desolation and miss the abundance. We get so overwhelmed by the lack that what we see excuse me, depresses us. And then we think there is nothing but lack, that there's not enough to go around, but there is more than enough. Jesus is wanting to give us a healthy eye to see God's abundance that is available for us. And there is verse after verse in the Bible about how abundant God is, how he will provide for all we need. 2 Corinthians 9, Philippians 4, Malachi 3 verse 10, which Chantelle read a couple of weeks ago, is one of my favourites. But for those amongst you who are kinesthetic learners, I think if I said that right, um, who like to learn as you go and as you do, I think a really good way for, for us all to see God's abundance and to grow a healthier perspective is through practicing generosity. God loves resourcing his people when they are being generous. And last Christmas, we collected... Um, items to provide hamper, Christmas dinner hampers for people who are struggling financially in our community. And you guys were so generous. We had bottles of schlur, mince pies, after eights, and Christmas biscuits all piled up in number 29. And I was keeping a stock take of everything. And 10 days before we would give out those hampers, I was starting to get panicked that we weren't gonna have enough to fulfill all the orders that we had from the different schools and community organizations that had put people's names forward. And that morning I prayed, asking God, it was the 13th of December, asking God to provide what we needed. And a few hours later on that same day, I got a call inviting me to go to a warehouse in the Boucher Road to basically pick whatever Christmas goodies I needed. I filled my carpet with whatever I needed. And then on the 23rd of December, we were able to give out 79 hampers to 304 people in our community. 
and we even had a few bottles of the good old Balamina wine, Schlur left over. The cup of, uh, the cup of Schlur definitely did runneth over um, last Christmas. God resourced our generosity with his abundance. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, decide in your heart what to give. Take some time to look at what you've got, your time, your talents, your money, whatever, and ask God how you can be generous with them. And I think it's really important to decide with God what to give because it might be larger than you thought or it might be smaller than you thought. Then whatever it is, with, cheer, with the cheerfulness of someone who knows that God has more where that came from, give it. Don't hold back, just give it. And 2 Corinthians 9 goes on to say, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As David says in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. The abundant life Jesus wants to give us is not for ourselves alone. His abundance is supposed to run over. When we are acting generously, we are demonstrating that we believe that God is abundant and that we will lack nothing. I believe that this will also be a powerful witness to those around us, particularly in the time that we're living through. As we give away instead of hoard, as we share instead of stockpile, it will raise questions in people about why we are living as if there is no lack. And we can point, we can point to our abundant God. And this will not be only as we are generous outside the four walls of the church, but also as we're generous to each other within the church. And many of us really do struggle to ask for help when we're in need, especially in the church. But we are the family of God, and we don't want anyone to experience not having enough. Let's continue to look out for each other, using our time, our money and talents, and our energy to show each other the abundance of God. And please, if you are walking through this difficult season and are really struggling, please chat to your life group leader, to Paul Chantel or myself, to your friends sitting beside you in church. Let us help each other to experience the truth of Psalm 23, I shall not want. As we walk through what is shaping up to be a difficult season, I am asking God to give us all healthier eyes, to see his abundance and from that desire to generously share that with others. So we can all together praise God with the words, I shall not want. I will just keep on going. Um, pretend it didn't happen. Sorry, do pretend it didn't happen. Um, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Just because our country is facing a potentially dark season, it does not mean that we will need to fear. The Lord has entered the situation. The Holy Spirit will guide us along right paths if we are open to him. Jesus is our shepherd and will defend us to the death so that we can walk together even through the darkest valley. We lack nothing. We have all that we need because Jesus is helping us to see God's abundance, which runs over, which overflows in generosity to others.